it's so much hokum. It's one reason I stay so passionate, Tom, about getting the word out, you know, doing cruises, doing so many podcasts, writing so many books. It's there's so much misinformation out there. Somebody's got to correct this stuff. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Hey, Jimmy, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach today. How are you? What's up, buddy? How are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm just beyond excited to have you on here. Long time no talk, Tom. Yeah, a couple <laughs> a couple minutes. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you coming back after that little tornado incident, but... That sounded like fun. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was funny. When you called me that day, we had just gotten... Uh, we live about a mile down the road from a fire station... And their tornado siren thing went off too, so I was like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> yeah, that was quite, yeah, because you were right, you're right in the stream of it too. I think because it came up from Atlanta to you guys. That's right. I'm in South Carolina. Yep, you're in Spartanburg, right? Spartanburg. Yep. Oh, nice, nice city. God, God's country, as we like to call it. Yeah, here, so. <laughs> I went up to see uh, uh, Willie Nelson there at the little park in Spartanburg. Nobody purposely goes to see Willie Nelson. <laughs> No, it wasn't that great. Oh, wait. That is his song, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Shows you my extent of uh, Willie Nelson knowledge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I appreciate you coming on the show. I've followed you for a long time, and uh, I just started this show a couple months ago. So you're, you know, to to let you, I'm an honor to interview the king of ketogenics. And I've been podcasting a little while too. So yeah, you have. I've actually been listening to you since about 2008. Before listening to podcasts was cool. Yeah, I started in 2006. Try try starting a podcast in 2006 when like dinosaurs were still roaming the earth. That's how long ago it was. Uh, at least in podcasting world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you're you've got over what 2,000 episodes. Uh, well, of the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show, which is my flagship show, uh, that one's 1,200 episodes, but I've done several other different podcasts uh, that I've done uh, about low carb and ketogenic, and I'm starting a brand new one in January on the subject of fasting. So yeah, we're staying busy with the with the podcast. And now what's that one going to be called? So I have a show on Thursdays called Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc uh, and Dr. Adam Nally. Uh, answer questions all about ketogenic diets. Well, we're doing fasting talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Jason Fung, as well as his uh, right-hand woman in the clinic that actually helps people with fasting. Her name is Megan Ramos. And so fasting talk uh, is the name of that one. And it's coming in January. Yeah, we've already been recording a couple of the episodes already. So we're real excited to get that new resource out there because nobody's really talking about fasting other than intermittent fasting. Right. I specialize in type 2 diabetics, so I, I, I like to preach the intermittent fasting yep. at least between dinner and, and sunrise. Pretty easy to do it that way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good time for your body to heal itself, you know, but I, I read your recent book, the, uh, 
complete guide to fasting. It's very interesting. And, and you just came off a 21-day fast. I did. Yep. About a month ago. And that's, a, that's just incredible. I mean, I've fasted for three, I've fasted for three days. And that was, you know, a good fast. I, I, it's interesting as we speak today, I kind of want to get into both of them, but I know you're a busy man. So first of all, fasting is mentioned over 40 times in the Bible. So fasting has been around forever. Yep. And your book is amazing. I read that and I read the keto clarity. Basically, and this, I wanted to talk to you. I mean, you, you've been in a ketogenic diet for quite some time. Since 2012, pretty actively, um, I've been purposely pursuing ketosis, yes. And from a health coach with a, which, uh, with a study in applied functional medicine right now with a, Tracy Harrison, actually, you interviewed her on one of your episodes. 1045 was the episode with Tracy. I'm studying applied functional medicine with her at the t- currently. And the ketogenic diet, has been around for a long time. They used it for epilepsy for a long, long time, and they, I mean, they still do. But from a from a standpoint of somebody that is studying diabetes, and this is a diet that intrigues me from a diabetic standpoint. And why don't you tell me that, I guess I really want to dive into, I don't understand ketogenics. So consider me, you and I sitting down and having a cold drink and and talking to, like, Jimmy, explain to me ketogenics. That is the million-dollar question. Uh, what is the difference between, say, ketogenic and what most people are doing now? So most people, Tom, walking around the earth right now, they're sugar burners. I would probably guesstimate at least 90 to 95% of the world's population is primarily burning sugar for fuel. So obviously, it's not just sugar that they're consuming. Yes, a lot of people are consuming quite a bit of sugar but really any food that turns to sugar in the body, they're fueling their body with a sugar. It's called glucose in the body. So ketogenic basically shifts that. We're going to say, you know what? There's another form of energy that I can use for fuel that is not sugar. And so that other energy is called ketones. So how do you shift from being a glucose sugar burner to being a fat and ketone burner? Well, number one, you have to eliminate all sources of sugar that you put in your body. And that includes, duh, sugar. That's, that's the easy one. But really any food that turns to sugar in the body, which is pretty much all carbohydrates, even the so-called healthy whole grains, they will turn to sugar in the body. Even excess amounts of, say, starchy vegetables will also turn to sugar in the body. The best ones to consume that won't turn to as much sugar, they still turn to sugar, but just a little bit, is green leafy vegetables and non-starchy vegetables. So your spinaches, your salad greens, your broccoli, your cauliflower, asparagus, green beans, those kinds of things. So once you get carbs low, uh, which is why you limit carbs on a ketogenic diet, then you have to look at what else is producing sugar in the body. And this is the one from Keto Clarity, Tom, that shocked so many people. When you overconsume protein in excess of what your body can use, guess what happens? There is no mechanism for your body to store protein. So what does it do? It has to convert it into a usable source of energy. And here's what it does. It goes to the liver, that excess protein, 
through a process called, and you know, I hope you're taking notes because there will be a test at the end. It's called <laughs> gluconeogenesis. It's a big, long G word, just a fancy schmancy medical term that says uh, all that excess protein that you consumed, we're going to convert it over into glucose, sugar, into the body. Well, if you're trying to be ketogenic and you've got a process that's actually producing sugar in the body, uh, it's very hard to be ketogenic because your body is now burning sugar. So moderating down on the protein. So we don't need as much protein as we think we do. A lot of times the Atkins diet and other popular low-carb diets have been put out there as a low-carb, high-protein. They're very much not a high-protein diet. They are high-fat diet. And so when you keep carbs low, you moderate protein. Really, the only macronutrient left that you can consume is fat. And so you eat a high-fat diet. Now, that doesn't mean you sit there and mainline butter all day. Uh, but you do liberally put it on your food. Um, so like a steak, instead of steak sauce, you would put maybe a pat of butter on top of it, maybe some garlic. Um, that's a really good steak sauce to me. Um, and of course, you're not having a 16-ounce ribeye anymore. You're going to have maybe a 6, maybe an 8-ounce if you can tolerate more protein like that uh, of a steak. And so when you lower the carbs, you moderate the protein, you increase the fat, your body over about a four to six week period for most people, some people quicker if you're already pretty low carb, some people longer if you're very addicted to carbohydrates, um, you will shift your body from sugar burner to fat burner. And when you're burning fat very efficiently, there's this byproduct that shows up in the blood called beta-hydroxybutyrate. Again, it's going to be on the test at the end. Okay. And so BHB is what beta-hydroxybutyrate stands for. That is the ketone body in the blood. It's the main one that you're tracking to see how you're fueling your body. So a lot of times people have been peeing on urine sticks, and that's another ketone called acetoacetate. It's not as reliable as beta-hydroxybutyrate. And there's another one, acetone, which is in the breath. And we can talk about how you can test all of these things later. But acetone uh, is a pretty good proxy for the beta-hydroxybutyrate. And so if you want to test your breath ketones, that is an option. But blood ketones truly is the gold standard. And then and only then do you know for sure that you're burning fat for fuel and you're in that ketogenic state. Okay, now let's talk about the ketogenic state. Let's just take the beta. What does one eat as far as fats to get to this ketogenic state? I mean, I've known a few people that, that have said they're doing ketogenic diets, but I sometimes have to question what they're, they're, it seems like they're eating a lot of fats that in my opinion, I don't consider healthy, like uh, excess bacon. What's wrong with bacon? Well, nothing's wrong with bacon. I love bacon, but oh, okay. I'm buying, let's talk about what kind of fats you're purchasing to eat. Like I know bacon's good, bacon's healthy. If I buy nitrate-free, I stick to the nitrate-free. So I want to know, as a person who, you know, what Jimmy, what do I go buy? Yeah, so a great question, by the way. And definitely what we're not talking about here with the fats are vegetable oils um, and all the ones that have the heart health symbol. In fact, if you see the American Heart Association heart health symbol checkmark or anything like that on any food, that's your warning not to purchase that that product because it's got a very highly, highly inflammatory substance in it um, that's going to raise your risk of disease. So I, I'm sorry, all you people having the canola oil, 
and the corn oil and soybean oil and all these oils. And they sneak it in even to some of the, the high-fat keto foods. You know, if you've ever had roasted nuts like almonds, look on the package, look on the ingredients label, and you'll see uh, roasted in cottonseed oil, roasted in soybean oil, roasted in peanut oil. All of these are those highly, highly inflammatory um, oils that you just don't want to be putting in your body. So number one, look for quality fats. So what are those quality fats is what I hear you asking. And the quality fats in my eyes include coconut oil, like real good coconut oil. Grass-fed butter uh, obviously is another great one. If you don't have a sensitivity to dairy, then grass-fed butter is good. If you do have a sensitivity to dairy, then that's where ghee can come into uh, the picture. So ghee is clarified butter where they've taken away the milk proteins out of it. And it leaves behind this this fatty goodness. It actually smells like popcorn. You ever had ghee before, Tom? <laughs> yes, I yes I do. Every morning. It's pretty amazing, man. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Love it. Uh, lard is also another really good one. Uh, uh, pork lard and tallow, beef tallow. Um, these are all fats that you're going to add to the foods that you are consuming. And of course, Full-fat eggs, I've got chickens in my backyard back there making me beautiful eggs every single day. Um, and so they've got a, a consistently great nutritional profile of fat to protein to carbohydrate, very little carbohydrate. Um, and, and so that's good. And you're cooking those in those oils that we just talked about. Avocados are an incredible source of fat as well. Avocado oil, uh, olive oil, but be careful about some of the ones you buy in grocery stores of olive oil. They don't regulate that industry very well. And unfortunately, olive oil uh, can have a lot of those seed oils that we just talked about, the vegetable oils added to them to bulk them up. So be careful. Make sure you look for 100% olive oil. Uh, and if you look on the back, it'll actually give you country of origin. And if it says anything but one country, you know, say Italy, or it'll say California, or just, you know, whatever. But sometimes you'll see it says Italy, California, China, Australia, Austria, and you're just going, no, okay. <laughs> don't touch those. That is just pure, unadulterated, literal garbage. That's a good info. Yep. And then macadamia nut oil and really um, uh, raw nuts of any kind. So raw almonds, raw cashews, raw raw nuts are, are pretty good, nuts and seeds. And so that's going to be a, the bulk of your uh, fat calories. A cream, full-fat cream, if you can handle dairy again. Uh, coconut milk is another one, coconut cream. Really, the sky's the limit. Look for the good quality, real food-based fats, and you can't go wrong. All right, let's talk about the bacon. Okay, what about bacon? What do you look for in your bacon when you go to the grocery store? <laughs> well, this is a source of controversy because some people say, well, you need to buy the nitrite and nitrate-free kind, um, and you need to get ones that have been pastured. You know, it, it's certainly a source of, of debate. So I don't want to add to uh, that debate anymore that's been out there. Look for the best quality that you can afford, uh, but don't get turkey bacon, please. Please don't buy lean bacon. You're defeating the purpose of getting bacon if you're getting the lean kind. You want the fattier kinds. And if you can afford to get the kind that's more quality, certainly get that as well. Okay, good. Now you've mentioned full fat cheeses. In your book? Yes. What do you look for in a full-fat cheese? So generally, full-fat cheeses, and it's very difficult to find them, actually, because a lot of the cheeses that are sold in stores tend to already have the fat kind of stripped down because they say, well, people want low-fat cheese. 
Well, there is a market out there for that. We call those people dieters, and we're no longer doing that. So what you want is really healthy cheese. And so try to find a cheese that has at least, at least double the amount of fat as it does protein. And of course, cheese should have very little carbohydrate. If it's got more than maybe one gram of carbohydrate per serving, please put it back. They've added something to it. Cheese doesn't have that much exactly uh, in terms of carbohydrate, just the lactose that's in the milk, just a little bit of that. Um, and so put it back if it's more than you know one or two grams of carbohydrate. But protein, let's say it's seven grams. If the protein's seven grams, then your then your fat should be at least 14 grams. Okay. And so look for at least double. Now, that's not a perfect solution for everybody because some people can tolerate more protein than others, while others uh, need more fat. And so, of course, you can always add fat to something like this. Um, you know, one of my favorite snacks it, when I was first starting ketosis was taking a slice of, say, cheddar cheese, like cutting off a block of, of cheddar cheese and then spreading some grass fed butter on top of that. This really helps with the carb cravings, by the way. So, if you have cravings for something you don't really need, Take you uh, that cheddar cheese and and spread some grass fed butter on top and stick it in your pie hole and you're going to be surprised how quickly that craving goes away. <laughs> now we we just made a bunch of doctors and cardiologists cringe. My wife is making fun of me here for saying pie hole. What am I supposed to call the mouth, Christine? Pie hole. What? Yeah, that works. Pie she hole said, works. Just should say the mouth. I said pie hole sounds cooler. <laughs> 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 and I'm good with pie hole because there's a lot of them. He's good with pie hole. <laughs> that's funny. I'm getting in trouble with my wife doing these interviews. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. She's having at least at least you're home. You are a traveling man a lot. You travel a lot. So. Oh man, January, February is going to be crazy for me. I'm literally like five or six different places in wow. the first part of the year. Anyway, I'm not complaining. <laughs> I need to make one of those keto cruises. There you go. Those look like a lot, a great, a lot of fun. And I listened to the episodes, and it sounds amazing. Oh, the low carb cruise is so much fun. Yeah, the low carb cruise. The yeah, tenth anniversary is coming up in 2017. Lowcarbcruiseinfo.com. You should come, Tom. Yeah, I love that. A great learning experience because this, this is a, more of a lifestyle. Diet is is a four letter word in my opinion. So this is more of a lifestyle change to help with a lot of things. And diabetes is one of them. Cancer is a huge one for this diet. For this, yes. this way of eating. And brain health. Yep. Brain health. And even as much as the cardiologists don't like to admit this, it's actually good for your your heart and your and your heart health. Arguably the best way to control heart health and prevent heart disease because you're lowering the inflammation. Exactly. I did a whole book on this in 2013 called Cholesterol Clarity, where you know so many of the misconceptions we have about heart disease and being related to fat intake. It's just, it's so much hokum. It's one reason I stay so passionate, Tom, about getting the word out, you know, doing cruises, doing so many podcasts, writing so many books. It's, there's so much misinformation out there. Somebody's got to correct this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I have a, uh, a physician friend that we get in this art, this conversation a lot about and, uh, because it is one of my passions is, is, is since I specialize in men, and usually men are taking statin drugs and men have diabetes, or diabetes is on the rise everywhere, but men have a tendency to, to be prescribed uh, statin drugs. and Like their Tic Tacs, yeah. 
you know, yeah, and it's we're almost to the point where they're going to put them on a bowl and on a counter at, at a restaurant and say, here. Well, they wanted to put them in the water supply in New York State a couple of years ago. They had actually proposed some, you know, rogue congressman there. <laughs> decided, you know what, we need to put this in the water supply. And people actually thought that was a good idea. Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot a lot of things go along with statin drugs that we, we don't have time to talk about. But chapter five of cholesterol clarity, if you want to learn. <laughs> I, I'm gonna go pick that one up. I've I've read the other these other two and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go grab that one because it's amazing that the, the physician community does not understand the aspects of what causes high cholesterol and and heart disease is not the fats; it's the carbohydrates. Yep, that are converting to sugars and and, and causing infl- rampant inflammation. The the fats actually provide lubricant to the the inside of the blood veins and the cells. And it's just it just cracks me up. We go over the statin, you know, like, and they prescribe statin drugs like crazy, and nobody's talking about okay. What is a statin drug actually doing to you? You know, and then then you get into a whole subject about CoQ10 and, and stuff to add. You know, it's like, okay, let's just move along. So anyway. Well, the, the biggest egregious thing about statin drugs that should warn anybody from taking it is this whole thing called numbers needed to treat. So numbers needed to treat is how many people do you need to put on some therapy? And in this case, we're talking about statin drugs in order for one person to see a benefit. You want to know what the numbers needed to treat is for statin drugs? Yes, I do. It's 100. So you have to put 100 people on a statin drug before one person finally gets benefit out of it. (sighs) But what they're not talking about is what happens to those 99 people who did take it and did not get the benefits what happened to them that went the other way? Well, they get heart attacks, that's for sure. They also have uh, one of the biggest complaints is muscle ache and pain. I used to be on both Lipitor and Crestor before I started low carb uh, over a decade ago now. And I still to this day can feel some of the effects of having taken those drugs for about a year and a half, two years before I started low carb. And they're bad news, man. Oh, yeah, they're horrible news. Horrible. I mean, that's a. I could go on for hours about this, and we could wax eloquently on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know. I mean, if you're starting a ketogenic diet mm-hmm. or a ketogenic way of life, so we can eliminate the word diet. So diet just means the way you eat. So right. I, I don't, I'm not afraid of the word diet. Just let's know what diet means. Okay. Diet just simply means this is how you eat. Okay, good. I like that. I like that explanation better. As a matter of fact, I love that explanation. I'll, but if you're on a ketogenic lifestyle, what, how, and when are you testing for ketosis during the course of a day? Great question. So earlier, I told you, told you about three different ketones in the body, the one in the urine, one in the blood, one in the breath. The one in the urine, you can test using these uh, sticks called keto sticks. And in the first couple of weeks of you starting out on your ketogenic diet, you want to kind of see, you know, am I making any progress? spilling over any ketones into the urine. Well, the first couple of weeks, those urine strips, which are the cheapest of the three, will show you spilling ketones if you're doing this the right way. So that's a great place to start. But then once you make that shift over from being sugar burner to fat burner, like we talked about earlier, 
you need to get a little, little more sophisticated in your testing because some people, Tom, will lose that acetoacetate in the urine and therefore it won't show up there anymore, but it's in the blood now. So it shows up as beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is why you should probably try to test blood. So there is a meter out there called Precision Extra. Uh, it's also called Freestyle Neo around the world. I'm starting to see Freestyle Neo show up on like Walgreens and different places on supermarket uh, and and drugstore shelves here in America. Okay. So um, get that. The, the only problem is the testing strips are very expensive. So the strips here in America per test, this is no lie, is about 4 to $5. Oh, so wow. that can be very expensive. Okay. I, I tend to get mine from... Canada or Australia, if you go to Google search and type in Canadian pharmacy uh, blood ketone testing strips, you'll find them for approximately $2 a piece. And then sometimes I'll find them on eBay out of Australia. You type in blood ketone testing strips um, and be sure you get blood ketone, not blood sugar, because they do also test blood sugar uh, with a different strip that's cheaper. Don't get the cheaper one. You got to get the one that tests blood ketones. The ones from Australia can range from $1 to $2 as well. So uh, just buyer beware when you go to do that. But that is probably the gold standard for testing and how you know for sure that you're actually producing ketones in the blood. Now, a, a good proxy for people that don't have that kind of money to test, and we'll get to frequency of testing here in a second, um, is breath. And so there's currently just one breath ketone analyzer on the market today. It's called Ketonix, K-E-T-O-N-I-X. And if you put a .co if you're here in America uh, or a .com if you're anywhere else in the whole world, you can actually find uh, how to buy this. It's about $150 US dollars uh, for this. It's a guy in Sweden that created this. He has epilepsy and he thought peeing on uh, urine sticks was gross. So... He didn't want to do that. And then he said, pricking your finger wasn't very desirable either. So he didn't want to test blood. So he developed as an engineer, he developed this breath ketone analyzer. It's been out there for about three year, uh, three-ish years now and is a great proxy. So it gives you like a color code flashing change. And so if you're getting yellow or red, um, you're pretty much burning fat for fuel. Now, it doesn't give you the precision that you look for with blood, but it's a pretty closed proxy. And he's added all kind of bells and whistles. He just sent me the new one recently um, that has like all kind of graphs and all these extra little things that you can plug into your computer. So it's, it's pretty neat, but uh, good way to test. No, so when do you test? So here is what you can do. So let's say you wake up in the morning after sleeping overnight, test first thing in the morning and know that that first reading of the day is going to tend to be your lowest of the day. Now, it's not universally the lowest, but for most people, it tends to be the lowest of the entire day. And then test at night at least four hours after your final meal of the day. So let's say you ate dinner at five o'clock, test at nine o'clock, and then you'll notice that that reading will be about double what the morning reading was. So let's say your morning reading was uh, 0.5, your evening reading should be around 1.0. Now, again, it's not linear, it's not perfect, but for most people, generally, you'll have double what you had in the morning. Now, if you want to know how a food is impacting you, you know, is this, is this, uh, you know, going to break my ketosis, blah, blah, blah. So you can actually test uh, after meals as well. 
definitely give a requisite amount of time to let the, the food digest a little bit, maybe a couple of hours before you test again, but test before and then test a couple hours after eating. And it'll let you see the impact on your ketones that, uh, that that's having. Now, I would also highly encourage if you're going to be testing uh, for ketones, you probably should be testing your blood sugar as well. So get you a good blood glucose monitor. There are so many out there. My only advice on that is pick one and stick with the same one because there is high variability between them. And now a word from our sponsor. We'll be back in a minute. We all know that eating healthy is a part of becoming a better person. But if you're finding the organic and non-toxic products too expensive or hard to find, then ThriveMarket.com, the healthy online shopping club, is your solution. Like the Costco meets Whole Foods for everything healthy online, you'll get the best organic and non-GMO brands up to 50% off retail prices, shipped nationally to your door for free within two to three days. When you become a member, ThriveMarket.com will donate a free membership to a low-income family, teacher, or veteran so we can all thrive together. You never have to pay full price for healthy food again. Go to thrivemarket.com slash the rebel health coach to get your free jar of coconut oil and 15% off your first order. This offer is valued at $18 and available for our listeners only on this special link. So here it is again, thrivemarket.com slash the rebel health coach. First of all, do you stay on a keto? Are you staying in this ketogenic diet all the time? For me, that is my goal. Okay. Um, I'm highly, highly uh, what's called insulin resistant. And so if you're insulin resistant, and there's a variety of ways you can determine if you're insulin resistant, if you wake up in the morning and your blood sugar is pretty consistently over 100, even if it's like 105, you know, 107, you're insulin resistant. If you have abdominal obesity, you're insulin resistant. If you have skin tags on your body, that's a sign that you're insulin resistant. Um, if you have elevated levels of insulin itself, fasting insulin. So let's say you go to your doctor, get a fasting insulin. Although, Tom, they're not really running that anymore. I actually had to ask my doctor to have that one run the last time I had a physical um, because he wasn't doing it anymore. And probably because he just doesn't know what to do with it anymore. Right. <laughs> and if you're not diabetic, right. they don't really run that. But I'm thinking, oh, I want to prevent diabetes. Um, run the test. <laughs> right. Exactly. I went to my phys annual physical in November or yeah, no, October. And they didn't run an A1C on me. That's crazy. I'm like, are you I have to ask for that? That yes. should be that should be an automatic. Yeah, mine was 5.1 the last time I checked it. But yeah, it, it was only because I asked for it too. So yeah, it's it's crazy. So what does a typical day look like? Let's start with your day. What do you eat for breakfast? So I love this question because it assumes that we're eating regular meals. So breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack, midnight snack is kind of the American way of eating. Right. But what happens, Tom, something very interesting happens. And we wrote about this in uh, Keto Clarity, uh, but wrote very extensively about it in the Complete Guide to Fasting. When you're nourishing your body well, you don't feel the need to eat according to the clock. You eat according to your satiety. So if you get hungry at 
10 o'clock in the afternoon or 10 o'clock in the morning and not eight o'clock in the morning, then by golly, eat at 10 o'clock in the morning. But here's the thing. You say, when do you eat breakfast or what do you have for breakfast? Well, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I just don't think it has to be at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. I think you can have your break fast, which is what breakfast stands for, breaking the fast at one o'clock in the afternoon if you choose to do it. And so knowing that, knowing that you're not eating by the clock, knowing that there's no lunch time, there's no breakfast time, there's no dinner time, there's definitely no snack time, you know, you eat intuitively. So let's say that I wake up and I'm not hungry. Great. I'm going to continue the overnight fast. So then I start getting a little bit hungry around 1230 and at one o'clock I decide to make a meal. So I'll go grab some eggs out of my, uh, my chickens in the backyard and make those in some grass-fed butter, maybe have some bacon or some sausage on the side with that, maybe a whole avocado to get some healthy monounsaturated fats as well, uh, perhaps a little bit of cheese on top of the eggs, maybe a little bit of, and cream cheese, by the way, if you've never had cream cheese and eggs before, oh. it's about to rock your universe. I promise you, it's awesome. But uh, maybe a dollop of sour cream on top of that. So as you can see, pretty heavy amount of food in terms of, of fat calories, but it's the perfect ratios for ketogenic. So it's high fat, very moderated in protein and low carb. And here's the kicker. I could have a meal like that at say one o'clock in the afternoon and I could, I could be totally satisfied for the rest of the day. So in other words, that's all I ate the entire day, maybe uh, 13, 14, 1500 calories, and I'm completely satisfied. So you're not feeding your body every three hours. You're not on that. You don't have to. Right. Because your fats are taking over your digestive tract. Well, there's several things going on there. Um, you're able to shift over your body from being a sugar burner to fat burner. So once you're in that state, fat burning commences and you stoke that fat burning by feeding your body fat. And then when you're not eating those periods of intermittent fasting that we're talking about here, where you're going upwards of 18 to maybe 24 hours between meals, your body fat on your body is what's being burned as energy. So people are like, well, what do you do if you're not eating? Well, no, you're still eating. You're just not physically putting food in your body anymore. What you're feeding on is stored body fat, which is why it's there. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't eat and you fast, you're just going to eat up all your muscle. I'm like, why does that make any sense at all? <laughs> Think about it, guys. Think about it. Your body, when it has excess energy, what's it do? It stores it as what? Stored body fat. It doesn't store protein. It can store a little bit of sugar in terms of glycogen uh, in the muscles. But once that's filled up, all it can do is convert all energy into fat. So why do we suddenly think that if you start fasting, it's going to immediately leach your muscles? No, it does not. It goes right for that huge bolus of energy that's on your body. And especially if you're insulin resistant, you have a huge belly, um, you're going to tap into that fat on your body as energy. All right. Since we're on the word, let's talk about the other F word then since we're there. Oh, the already. other F word, yes. The other F word is <laughs> fasting. And you have this wonderful book called The Complete Guide to Fasting with uh, yep. Dr. Fung. Dr. Jason Fung, yep. Since ketogenics, this ketogenic uh, diet and fasting go hand in hand as, and paleo gets thrown in the same realm as these three, Let's talk about the fasting aspect of this for the to wrap this up with, and then we'll talk about how you find you and 
and uh, go from there. Let's talk about fasting. What is, like I, we mentioned earlier, that the fasting is mentioned over 40 times in the Bible. Fasting is a way of life with a lot of Christians. In the Jewish lifestyle, fast, they, they fast a lot. Let's start with intermittent fasting and talk about how to take it to the level of a 21-day fast. And the Muslims do Ramadan. I mean, there's all sorts of like religious connotations of fasting. So yeah, let's start with intermittent fasting. So we just described that. So when I was talking about my break fast and my breakfast meal, and that may be the only meal I have all day, and maybe I don't eat until the next day, that's an intermittent fast. You basically go a period of time without eating. Now get this, most people who are even still eating a crappy diet, as I would say, uh, their last meal, let's say, is at six o'clock at night. Then they go to sleep, they wake up the next morning, they have breakfast at, say, eight o'clock in the morning. Well, six o'clock the night before till eight o'clock in the morning the next day, guess how many hours is that? That's 14 hours that you've not eaten. Guess what? That's an intermittent fast. Now, obviously, you're going to get more benefits if you push it just a little bit longer. And so that's why pushing it to maybe noon or one o'clock and you get really great benefits. So basically what you're doing here is you're giving your pancreas a break. So it doesn't have to pump out so much insulin. It doesn't have to work so hard. And so um, that's one of the great benefits of doing an intermittent fast. So, and I would even say, you know, you heard, you talked about my 21 day fast and how you've only done a three day one. Uh, You work your way up. You don't just start with 21 uh, unless you're a glutton for punishment. And I tell the story in in our book uh, how I hated even intermittent fasting. I just didn't get it. Uh, But it took, as you could tell from reading my story, Tom, uh, me a lot of time to try it and try it again. And by the way, the first two or three times you try fasting, you're going to crash and burn. You're going to fail. So just know that right off the start that if you don't, you're way ahead of the curve because most people crash and burn and and don't do well. But you will do well eventually because you keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. So Intermittent fasting, you're going a period of time without eating somewhere between 12 to 24-ish hours. Maybe some people push it to 36-ish hours. Now we're getting into this thing called alternate day fasting. So you you eat on Monday and then you don't eat Tuesday. And then you eat on Wednesday and you don't eat Thursday. And that actually ends up being about 36 hours when you do it that way, the, the fasting period. And so unless you're waking up at midnight going, it's the next day, I can start eating. No, no, no don't do that. <laughs> There's some people that would try to do that. Uh, so that's alternate day fasting. And then the last kind of fast that we put in the book is extended fasting. Now, let's say you're doing intermittent fasting and you're experiencing incredible results in your health. Keep intermittent fasting. Why would you change if you're getting great results? The things that we're talking about with alternate day and with these extended fasts are for people that aren't quite seeing the results with just the the intermittent fasting. Of course, I've been intermittent fasting along with my ketogenic diet and pretty regularly, pretty spontaneously. I didn't try to do it. It just happened uh, naturally from the satiety that came from the fat and ketones. So I decided let's do some of these longer fasts. So uh, when I met Dr. Fung, in South Africa, of all places, we both shared a stage in Cape Town, South Africa, at a huge LCHF event that took place there last year. And, uh, and he started talking about fasting. And I'm going, whoa, okay, here's somebody that, that understands fasting. Let me ask his opinion about some longer fasts and you know, a, a resource or anything. And so we got to talking. I said, hey, what's a good resource for these longer fasts? He said, there ain't one. Wow. I was like, let's write one. 
because people need to know this information. And I said, well, if I'm going to do a longer fast, let me do it myself and let's see how I do. And so last September, I, I committed to do a 21-day fast. Now, keep in mind, up to that point, my longest fast was seven days. And I tell the story about how it crashed and burned on the seventh day in the book. I'll leave that to you, but it, it involved church and communion. I'm just going to leave it there. You can definitely go read that story. It's pretty hilarious what happened to me. It's hilarious now. At the time, I didn't think it was so funny. Yeah, I but. was going to say, it doesn't sound so much like so much fun. When you re, when people read the book, they got to read that part because it's, yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, the longest I'd done was that almost seven-day fast. Uh, so I decided to do this 21-day in September. I made it 17 and a half days in a row, which I was pretty proud of that. That was almost three times the amount uh, of time that I'd ever fasted before. And it just motivated me more and more to keep doing these kinds of fasts. In January, I did my most controversial fast. January 2016, I went 28 of 31 days. I was trying to go 31 days in a row, but didn't quite make it. But I did do 28 out of those 31 days. And so we provided all the data and all the uh, information that happened with all these fasts in the book. And of course, I've continued fasting since the book came out in October um, and we'll continue to fast probably henceforth trying to heal insulin resistance. This isn't about weight loss. You will lose weight. It's not about weight loss. It is about uh, bringing insulin levels down. It is about bringing A1C levels down. It is about improving every aspect of health, including gut health. This is kind of a shocker for a lot of people too, is when you actually don't eat for a period of time, your gut health actually improves as well. I found digestion got better. Lots of things get better in your health. It's just a matter of getting over those, those misconceptions about fasting, which we address every single one of them, the muscle loss, the slowing down, the metabolism, all those things that people believe about fasting. They're just not true. Yeah. And, and when you go on these fasts, people think you're going to starve. There's, there's this thing that happens why in the middle of the fast, and it's hard to explain, but it's almost, it's almost euphoric. Yeah, and, and I would say it happens pretty quick. Um, I, I won't lie. Day one, though, is very easy. Day one, when you're ketogenic or you're already eating a pretty nutrient-dense kind of diet, like a paleo diet, day one is super-duper easy. It's day two that sucks. Right. <laughs> so if you can get through day two because your body's just going to kind of fight you tooth and nail to make you eat that day, if you can get past day two, maybe a little bit into day three, it's day four, five, six, and on that you just have no idea how euphoric, how clear-minded. I did a bunch of interviews in the midst of that 21-day fast uh, I did about a month ago, a bunch of interviews for, for my book. And I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm in day 12 of my fast. And they're like, what? You sound so energetic. I'm like, I'm very energetic. And so yeah. <laughs> it, it was kind of fun to do it that way. But yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Tom. It is so energizing. I really hope you can go longer than three days at some point, Tom, because I think you would see such such a, an energizing spirit about you. Um, I think you'd be surprised. I am going to uh, write that down as a part of my New Year's resolution is to, uh, I, I really want, and I'm, I'm going to do this, this is why I picked this subject up is because I'm, I'm, I have insulin resistance I've struggled with it all my life. My dad had it. He passed away from insulin resist from diet type two diabetic complications, which there are uh, many. And I 
decide that I don't want to live like that. So good on you. That's why I changed. And I think if you listen to health coaches, I think every health coach has its own story. And we've all been there. And I think that's why we find this passion to help people. That's right. And this whole ketogenic and diet and the fasting intrigued me because Dr. Fung's been doing it for quite some time with type 2 diabetes in his clinic. And it works. And it works very well, both side by side with the ketogenic lifestyle and the fasting work very well if you are a diabetic, type 2 diabetic. Especially if you start with the ketosis. I, I think this is a mistake some people make is they try to hop into fasting because they hear so much good stuff about it. And there's a lot of great stuff about it. But if you're not already training your body to use fat for fuel efficiently, you're basically uh, jumping into the deep end. Uh, and and it's in the middle of the winter of the pool. <laughs> it's going to hurt a lot. Yeah. And so don't do that to yourself. You know, start in the shallow end, dip your toe in a little bit, try this ketosis thing, get that adapted, make that four to six week period of shifting from sugar burner to fat burner. And then once you get rolling with that, you're feeling pretty good from that because that alone will provide a lot of people great, great benefits. Then start, and what you'll find is you'll spontaneously start intermittent fasting where you'll go periods of 16, 18, maybe 24 hours between meals. And then it'll become very easy to start pushing that to two, three, four, seven, 12, 21 days. Wow. One thing I want to ask you before I, we end this session is if somebody is missing their gallbladder and wants to do a ketogenic lifestyle, do, do you recommend bile, bile salts? So I think digestive enzymes and bile salts and all those things can definitely be great adjuncts for people like that. My wife, Christine, who I'm looking over here uh, playing on her iPad Pro, um, she has no gallbladder and she can put down some fat now. Okay. Now, when was that? 2007, Chris? 2006. So about 10 years ago, she got her gallbladder taken out. It was that first year that it was a little bit difficult. But after that, the body adjusted. The body was able to handle more fat at that point. And now she can eat, you know, a good amount of fat. Now, obviously, she can't overdo it because, you know, no gallbladder. So that's where those digestive enzymes and, and bile salts and things like that can definitely help. But don't let that stop you from pursuing ketosis because this is too important to not. Okay, good, good. All right, now let's let's talk about uh, where they find you, where they find the book. The, uh, the books are available on Amazon, I believe, but also. Let's talk about where to find you. And and you also have the meters for sale on your website too, I believe. Uh, well, the, 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 the meters, well, yeah, Ketonics, you can go to ketonics.co. Uh, Precision Extra and Freestyle Neo, you can pick up in a store or on Amazon or somewhere online. You can find those pretty easily. Finding my books online is pretty easy as well. Uh, Amazon.com for sure. You can also go to Barnes & Noble, Books A Million Stores, uh, Costco will be carrying my ketogenic cookbook starting December the 27th. Oh, nice. Uh, and into the new year. That was pretty cool. Um, and then the audiobook version of Keto Clarity, Cholesterol Clarity, and the Complete Guide to Fasting, all of them read by me. So if you're not sick of my voice after hearing wow. this interview, you can listen to those. I, I actually recorded wow, all of those. Wow, you do that songs. all by yourself? I did. And, uh, you know, when, when you speak for a living and people know your voice, they're like, we want to hear you read the book. I'm like, really? You want to? 
because it's a lot different than doing a podcast where I'm sitting here just jibber jabbering with you. Right. I have to read words that are on the page and it's hard not to sound robotic. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of reading. So yeah, so those are available on audible.com, which is where you can get books. Also on iTunes, they have an audiobook section as well. As for finding me, I'm livinglavidalowcarb.com. But if that's too much to remember, you can actually Google Jimmy Moore and the first two pages of Google is all my stuff. Exactly. Because you're you're the king of ketogenics. <laughs> I've been doing this a while. Yeah, you have. And you've got a, quite a story. I think people need to pick up the book and read about your story because it's amazing. Thank you. Jimmy, I I don't know how much how to thank you enough, but uh, you just did, and it's just <laughs> you, just an amazing individual and an amazing human being, and uh, you're a blessing to many. And I appreciate you jumping on this show with me today. Thank you very much. Yeah, man, thank you. And I hope that uh, I'm going to join you on one of those low carb cruises, and we can meet each other. You got to do that, man. Let's make that happen. I will. I will. All right. Thank you so much, buddy. All right, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. Please go to my website, www.tomunderwood.net. That's T-H-O-M underwood.net. And grab yourself a copy of my free ebook, 11 Surprisingly Easy Changes to Be Your Best Self. It's under the freebies tab at the top of the page. This will also sign you up for my monthly newsletter. And I promise not to blast you with endless BS emails. Also, if you'd like to book a one-hour consultation with me, at the bottom of the homepage, just click on the button, schedule a free one-hour consultation. And if you really enjoyed this show, please go to iTunes and rate the show and leave me a comment. Have a blessed day.